0: I cannot relay to our listeners any more clearly that this is exactly what happens in the movie. Yeah. They are standing at a gala and Creed Higher starts playing. Yep. And in slow-mo, a bunch of women in formal gowns come in that I assume are supposed to be hookers
1: meet sarah and samantha
0: two cousins obsessed
1: with exploring the vast pop culture landscape one recommendation at a time in each episode one clueless cousin shares real-time reactions as they navigate the twists and turns of a pop culture topic selected by the other from travel to movies little debbies to trashy novels
0: get ready to eavesdrop on the candid reactions and dynamic conversations you can only have with family
1: this is foreign and familiar Hi, Sarah. Hey. (laughs) How are you
0: doing? I'm great. Welcome to Foreign and Familiar. It's our first podcast. It's so exciting. So So for those that may not know, Sarah and I are cousins. We are. And friends. And friends. Most importantly, friends. Yeah. Sarah is married to my cousin. And over the past couple years, we've just been spending some more time together, traveling together and have very similar yet differing views on things. And so the goal of this podcast, number one, is really we just want to do something to spend time together, you know? Yeah,
1: it's our excuse.
0: And record some of the conversations that we're
1: having and some of the things that we're doing. And I think it's like the best of both worlds, right? It's like the idea that one of us is watching something or reading something or doing something for the first time and the other is revisiting that. So it's like you get like the the rewatch podcasts that are like super popular right now but you're also getting just like new candid conversations about something. Like it's a good it's a good mix of of what's popular.
0: We wow. love Little Debbie. We've bonded over our love of Little Debbie
1: snack cakes. So it's True. We're a little obsessed.
0: Yes. And who would know this, but whenever we're all hanging out, I mean, that's what we do. Whoever's house it is. We go to the store and buy as many varieties of little Debbie's as we can. And we just gorge ourselves on them. There's like no rule. Right. Dump them all out. No, no calories. Dump them all out. Put them on the table. It's like a community basket.
1: That was thinking we should try to do like fall themed ones, but I changed it to zebra cakes at the last minute because we couldn't find the fruit pies.
0: Listen, I think that it's our podcast. We and can we do can what make rules. Yeah. yeah. So let's chat zebra cakes. I would say it's a classic. It's a classic Little Debbie. I don't know if you'd put it in the hierarchy of when people are thinking a Little
1: Debbie's. It's like zebra cakes is at the top. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I don't know. I think like Swiss rolls for sure are like what everybody thinks about. I think the oatmeal pies are up there. But I mean, I feel like zebra cakes are they work for anybody. And I feel like there are so many different just varieties of the zebra cakes, right? Because you can get like the cakes. I bought what I thought was like a family pack and it ended up being giant zebra cakes. And then there's the rolls, which like is a whole separate thing. So I think they're just like a good it's like a good starter cake. If you've not had a little Debbie, maybe start with a zebra cake to kind of see what you're getting into.
0: We've also seen the zebra cake donuts. is that that has to be a really popular variety for them because they're offering it in four or five different formats. Right exactly so it's got to be a, a mover and shaker for me I don't even know if the zebra cake makes my top five and here's the thing I will eat little dip you know but they're just <laughs> some that I, like I say my issue like I'm beefing with a snack cake you know
1: right, right.
0: it's not it's just a uh, yellow cake mm-hmm. does not do it for me on any level and I think that is the lowest form and flavor of a cake for me Personally, if I'm at a party and it's yellow cake, no, I'll skip it. It's just not worth the calories. Right. If we're talking about like, to me, the absolute worst flavor combination is yellow cake with chocolate icing. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think I'm a cake snob. It just doesn't work for me. So the fact that that is the base of the zebra cake is always going to preclude it from being something that I fully lean into and enjoy in the Little Debbie lineup?
1: Well, my husband loves zebra cakes, so they are in our house a lot. It was never my first choice. Given the option, I will take chocolate piled on chocolate on like as much as you can fit together. So zebra cakes, because they're not primarily chocolate, were never my first choice ever. It was like, a, I need something sweet, and this is the only option. I guess I'm desperate enough to eat a zebra cake today. But because they're in our house so often, I feel like I've gotten to like them a little bit more. So if it were, like, not a yellow cake, but a white cake, maybe I would like it more. I do like those, like, fancy cakes that are a true, like, white cake. Little Debbie does have
0: the fancy cakes, which is a white-on-white cake. I think going back to the zebra cakes real quick, the zebra cake rolls, I think are probably the most palatable version for me because you get more cream. I would say my favorite cake combination though is, is a chocolate cake, but with white buttercream icing. Mm -hmm. Chocolate on chocolate cake. I could do it. I could not do it. I really do enjoy a white on white cake. What is your cake combination that you like?
1: white cake with like a white buttercream icing is usually my go-to. That's like the one thing where I like differ from my usual preferences. Like I said, it's always chocolate, but I feel like chocolate cake gets so dry so quickly. So I would much rather have a white cake that's not dried out and gross. What if it was a moist chocolate cake? If somebody can do a good, moist chocolate cake with chocolate icing, I'll be all over that. I just feel like it's hard to do well. So let's say that you go into a cupcake shop, though. Okay. In a cupcake shop? In a cupcake shop, what is your combo? It's red velvet all the way. But red velvet wasn't on the table before. Now it is. So red velvet's the preference.
0: I don't think Little Debbie's has a red velvet variety.
1: I don't think so. If they do, it's like a once in a while, like special thing. Now I have done extensive little Debbie research preparing for this and I have not seen a red velvet, but that would be a game changer if there was one.
0: You know that a red velvet cake is just chocolate cake made with buttermilk instead of regular milk. Right. And just a little bit of food diet. So really what I... What I hear you saying, though, and this <laughs> this is the crux of what we're getting to is you actually do like you say you don't like chocolate cake when it's dr- dried out. Red velvet cake is chocolate cake made with buttermilk to make sure it doesn't dry out. So
1: you do like chocolate cake. You yeah. do like chocolate cake. So I guess chocolate cake with buttermilk with or without the food dye, you know, I guess at that point, it really doesn't make a difference. Something else. I just thought of was zebra cakes is the zebra cake ice cream, which I don't think I've had, but some of the other little Debbie ice creams are really good, which we can dive into that. I feel like that's a whole, whole thing, but I also saw on little Debbie's Instagram today that there are candles and there's a zebra cake candle. So really branching out there. That is the most riveting piece of information
0: that I've heard. (laughs) Incredibly long time.
1: (laughs) zebra cake
0: candles i mean a zebra cake candle it's all about the decorative stuff though Mm -hmm. but i mean good for little debbie for trying to i mean they know their brand right yeah i am looking right now and be the first one of our newest collection of candles i mean i feel like we have
1: to get them i feel like we need to be the first and we need to get all of them (laughs) And the
0: problem is is the outsides are like the boxes.
1: Like I'm I'm
0: going to put like a a zebra cake box in here. I, we, we got to look into this. Yeah. Very interesting. Oh, it's like right on the website. Let's see. What what do you think they they're retailing for?
1: Are they the th- the three wick candles, I think? Right? They're like the big like Bath and Body work size three wicks. I would say like 20 25.
0: These are three wick candles, uh-huh. which really surprises me because a three wick candle you display,
1: right, <laughs> right. That's it's like yeah, it's it's a decorative piece.
0: It's a center piece of a home. So yep, they are okay. So here are the varieties, Sarah. This is such good stuff. Here are the varieties: oatmeal cream pie, honey buns, nutty buddy, strawberry shortcake rolls, zebra cake, Swiss rolls fudge rounds, pumpkin delights, cosmic brownie, fall party cakes, Christmas tree brownies and Christmas tree cakes. And they are $25.50, but they are on sale for $13.99 each. That's a steal. It's like a branded little Debbie Three Wick candle on your counter. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's true. It's true.
0: Let me put it this way. I don't think that they were ever gonna sell these for $25. I think they're just saying it's half off because it's launch day and that's how they're gonna move it. Right. I'm interested in, you know, what would be the difference if I bought a Swiss roll candle. And a Cosmic Brownie Candle. Is there really going to be a noticeable difference in the sense?
1: Right. And like the Christmas Brownie Candle and the Cosmic Brownie Candle. It's the same cake. Just shaped differently. Maybe it's the same candle with a different box design. So if if you don't want to display your Cosmic Brownie Candle at Christmas time, you can swap it out for a Christmas tree brownie candle with the same scent. Just it will match the decor a little bit more.
0: Who's the audience for? I mean, we're the audience for. But it's us. The, but <laughs> we're the like tongue in cheek audience. I love little Debbie. I cannot believe they have candles. Why not? Right. They have to think about the production that goes into creating a candle, creating a scent, all the testing and development. They're doing all this stuff. There's a licensing partnership. There's all that. I mean, they are all in on these candles. So they must have good research that there is a market for it. And they don't even start with like their top two or three. Like they, they have eight or
1: nine varieties, including a seasonal variety. Instagram. I'm so glad we follow them on Instagram. We do. And I would say, yeah.
0: So for those listening, we are at Pod on Instagram. And we have, I think, three followers right now, which is me and both of Sarah's other accounts.
1: So (laughs) anyway,
0: Sarah, should we should we tee up what we're going to be talking about today?
1: Well, I just have one question, Sam. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to be reborn? No, I'm not ready to be reborn. I have so many thoughts on this. (laughs) Let's tee it up. Okay, so for this episode, I was the foreigner to The Skulls, which is from what, like 2001? You're giving it so much credit.
0: It's a 1999 movie. It is pre 1999. It is pre the turn of the millennia. It is Mm. pre Y2K, which you see in the technology throughout the car
1: phones. Yes. The landlines. Oh, yes. So this was my first experience with it. So Sam, (laughs) you've obviously watched it before because you were the familiar one. So what are we discussing today?
0: Today, we are discussing the 1999 teenage movie. I would say Masterpiece is a little bit of a stretch, but the movie The Skulls It stars Joshua Jackson, a.k.a. Pacey Witter, who I have never gotten over, but we are saving that for another episode. Yeah, And Paul Walker, rest in peace, as two kids at an Ivy League university that decide to rush and get involved with a secret society known as the
1: Skulls. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. So, why did you recommend this? Because you were the familiar one this time. I was the foreigner in experiencing this classic. A couple different reasons here. I
0: had seen this before. Looking at the date, it has probably been about 24 years since I have seen it. The Skulls is not in a regular rotation of mine. I think we were having a conversation, and you had said that you loved 1990s movies. I mean, you just you watched Rush Hour two recently, just because, is that right?
1: I did, yeah. I was actually wondering how long it would take for Rush Hour two to come up, but yeah, I love like 90s, like early 2000s action movies. Most of them aren't like good, right? Like there, but there's just something about the like the car chases and all of that stuff that. I don't know. I'm a huge fan. So the only other thing I've ever seen Paul Walker in is like the first two Fast and Furious movies. So that's why I recommended it. I also love, like I said, Pacey Witter or Joshua Jackson.
0: I remember it being campy and a rewatch. And I would say there is something, and we're going to get into the notes here. I mean, I would agree with you. The 90s, 90s actions, movies, 90s teen movies, Scream, all that. It's very, very, it's like opening a time capsule. I think when you're looking at these old movies, like not only is there a visual style to it, but there's also a, a uniqueness to it that I would agree with you. I think like 90s actions movies or at least 2000 action movies just are very similar and they're fun. And you can't take any of them too seriously because that's just not what they were for. It's just fun. Yeah. So I thought when you said that, that's why I recommended it. And then anything, like I said, that Joshua Jackson said, I would agree. I don't think I've seen Paul Walker. I mean, I, so here's the thing. I don't watch the Fast and the Furious Mm -mm. and not into it, you know, gone in 60 seconds. That's another movie around that time. I thought that was great. Baby Angelina Jolie, Nicolas Cage at his peak, which I just, I actually really just love Nicolas Cage. I don't really care. I don't care if that's wrong if that's wrong, I don't want to be right. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, Nicolas cage. I just root for, you know, he was in a talk about movies at the time. He was in the rock. He was in face off. I never saw the fast and the furious because mm-hmm. gone in 60 seconds had, had just come out. And that was, I'm like, why do we need to see this again? And at the yeah. time it's like, I feel like a lot of these heartthrobs in the late nineties were all the same. I mm-hmm. really didn't do much for me. Like Paul Walker has never really done much for me. He did more for me on a rewatch right now than I think like any time as Josh, <laughs> yeah, Josh Hartnett. I was never into Josh Hartnett. I never understood that. Chris Klein, like they were all uh-huh. the same to me. Yeah, and there is a little bit of an age difference between me and Sarah. So I mean, but to me at that time, coming of age, uh, guys I say coming of age. We're gonna cut that. That's not gonna make the. That's okay. <laughs> So for me, it was cool to kind of see Paul Walker. I think I've always, I've seen him in Varsity Blues. Okay. Again, that was around that time. And he might not have even been in that, like might have it wrong. So it was good to kind of, to revisit and watch it. I will say just to start, I think we have a couple more questions. I was under the impression and I remembered it incorrectly that Paul Walker was the Joshua Jackson character and that Joshua Jackson was the, supporting character. And so that was a pleasant surprise and or twist. The other thing I would say is I did a little bit of research. Okay. Not a ton, just a little. Yeah. This movie came out at a time where there had been recent conversations and recent discussions about presidents or these types of secret societies. So. Oh, okay. So
1: it was topical.
0: It was topical at the time. There's the text on the screen that says, you know, for generations, there have been these secret societies and three. years So I think that it's like the Bush family is what they're suggesting. It's modeled off after loosely. And then like, for me, the closest thing I thought it would probably be like, but I don't know anything about it. And again, terrified of these people, but like the Freemasons, you know, as what I thought they were trying to make a connection with.
1: I did find some behind the scenes content on YouTube. And I guess the idea for the skulls came from the skull and bones, which was supposed to be some sort of like secret organization at Yale. So I think that's where like the direct inspiration came from.
0: These are things that are, real and have like their eating clubs at the Ivy league schools at Prince, like at all that, where, you know, you select where you're going to eat. Like I was in a sorority. I was in a, sor- a sorority in college. There's a thing with Greek life in general and a thing with sororities and fraternities. And then there's like this next level where if you're in the Ivy leagues and it's your eating club and it's where you're living and it's mm-hmm. what one you're choosing. And it's kind of like sorority on steroids. And then I think you have the Freemasons or the underground or the things like that. And when you're doing it, it's like, it's very clear. It's like these people are in these Ivy League schools. It's like all this like wealthy old generation. I mean, you'll see there, there isn't a single person of color in the skulls.
1: Right. Like in the actual group of the skulls. Yes. They all fit a specific look.
0: It was all generational and we're gonna get into it because it gets so crazy and it's actually like so good but i'm watching It's, it's a secret society they're trying to win the approval so why don't we take a break and we'll come and we'll jump right in and we'll get into our first reactions and our thoughts
1: let's do it awesome All right, we are back from a break and we are ready to talk about The Skulls.
0: So let's set the scene for our listeners. So so you know, we come in, it's an Ivy League school and you have Joshua Jackson in his full teenage body glory. Let's, I, I don't even <laughs> want to say that. It's not like, you know, Paul Walker is very clearly the sex appeal in this movie. You know where the director's thought because his shirt off is, his shirt is off. A lot. In <laughs> every single thing. It's like, like the one where she comes to confront him. He's punching. There isn't even a punching bag. He, he's just like punching the air and is, he's just shirtless. And he just like, he's always shirtless. And they all, all have Joshua Jackson with his shirt on.
1: Oh yeah. He's like the everyday average guy. Which, right. He's like the best friend. Yeah. You would want him to be your best friend. And pretty
0: accomplished. He's a cafeteria worker making omelets and sticking up for people when people are being rude in the line. Right.
1: And what a shock. He goes to an Ivy League school and he's on the rowing team. Like nobody saw that coming. During the race, that one guy just like jumps out of the boat to make it lighter. I'm pretty sure that's not okay. I know nothing about rowing. That's. Has to be cheating. That's not skill. That's just cheating.
0: I would say the same thing. And then also, can we talk about like, to me, I was like, this is an extended rowing race sequence in slow mode. All these people at this Ivy League school, they come in and instead of football, it's rowing. It's and, rowing, of course. Like, points for originality, though. Like, here's what I'll say about this. Like, this movie. Is a dumpster fire, and I'm not saying stuff, but it's so fun. Like, it doesn't take itself too seriously. So he's a rower. He's cafeteria. And then I guess in 1999, they were just giving away law degrees because the tuition for the law school he wants to go to is $45,000 a year,
1: which is... Nothing
0: compared to what it costs now. Twenty-five years later, like that's what you pay for a regular public, state-funded school education. You can't help. He's got a conversation with his friend. Student loan debt was an issue in 1999. Then they have this prolonged discussion about. Okay, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be what you know, like two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt, and then by the time I can pay you could transplant that conversation and just put it here in in 2023. I don't think they were, I don't think they were trying to make a point. I don't think they were,
1: but well, and it was just establishing the character, right? So his mom passed away. I don't remember him mentioning his dad at any point. He comes from not a great life because we get to see some of his former friends, I guess, and they're like kind of criminals. He's trying to put himself through law school and figure out how he's going to do that without an insane amount of debt. Hence the skulls. That's where they come in. I do have to say though, during the race, Paul Walker rolls in. And I think that's the first time we see him and his first interaction, like his first set of like lines of dialogue killed me. He's with a girl and she says, I can't see the race. And he just says, imagine it (laughs) like what a way to set up a character.
0: He rolls up in this car. I will say it is like peak 1999. Yeah. If we can find that clip and get it on our Instagram just so people can see it. But yeah, she's like, I can't see. So he parks the car. That's that's a great point. And then let's talk names real quick because his name is absolutely insane. He is Caleb Mandrake.
1: Mandrake. Mandrake.
0: Like that has to be our most fun part. The screenwriter came up with Caleb Mandrake. I think that the script is a mess. It is late. We'll get into it. But, you know, there are moments Like they put the rowing team in, they put effort in the name Caleb Mandrake. Like they they do, Mm -hmm. I think, try to go out of their way to differentiate themselves from some of the other movies at that time, as batshit as it is in certain instances. So even talking about like Joshua Jackson and his shirt, Mm -hmm. you know, when they're like making out in the shower or whatever, I don't think he even takes his shirt off
1: in that. No. No, they are fully clothed for that entire scene in a bathroom with the shower on to block out the sounds because they're being recorded. <laughs>
0: yeah. Joshua Jackson. What is his name in the movie? I'm sorry. Luke. So he comes in. He gets a call. He follows a couple things. And then they
1: basically are like, we're going to roofie you. Pretty much. Yeah. And he leaves his friends who are saying like, don't join the secret society. It's bad news. It's really sketchy. And he's like, just basically shuts them all down and says like, I need to do this for my student loan debt and does all these sketchy things to be initiated into the skulls.
0: I hate to say, it's not that this movie doesn't have a vision so they get roofied. Let's let's call it they get roofied. They but they willingly get roofied and they all wake up in coffins. Coffins. Yep. In this gigantic house, stone walls, secret society. It says war in 40 foot letters on the side. And it's a dungeon with a bunch of spotlights. So there's like maybe what, six or seven recruits. And of mm-hmm. course. Paul Walker and Joshua Jackson get teamed up. And can we talk about the homo eroticism all throughout this movie? Oh, yeah. So the riddle to start, and I wrote it down to make sure I don't get it wrong. Okay, is a snake without scales shows its veins. My reaction is they're talking about a dick. <laughs> it's a penis. A a snake without scales that shows its face. I'm like, are they talking about? And honestly, with like the way that this is and the types of guys these are and stuff, I would not put it past, you know, them to have been literally doing like a dick measuring contest. And we're actually seeing that still today. I mean, you have Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg going back and forth with each other. Right. Musk literally tweeted a month ago or something I think we have a literal dick measuring contest. So when you say it's a snake without scales that shows its veins, I'm like, what direction is this going in? I'm intrigued.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're called soulmates. Yeah. Right. Every time they said it, I was like, this is not a good choice. <laughs> That's the thing. Is, it's like there are things where I'm like, they have a vision or it's inspired or whatever. But yeah. then the
0: stuff that matters, like your partner's like, oh, you're my soulmate. Their phrase, a skull above all, or a skull until you're... It's so lazy. All of the effort put in to differentiate a little bit then becomes just so lazy. So right. these are your soulmates. They put them in a cage together at some point, And I'm like, make out already. Like, what do you... they right. like, there's just tension between the two of them, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. For like, there's no competition between them because Caleb Mandrake, his... Dad it, like he comes from a lot of money. It's not like Luke isn't going to become a skull because Caleb's going to become one first. There's no competition, but it's feels like there is. And also they get branded, literally branded with a little skull that they then have to cover up with a watch. And if this is a secret society that they're not supposed to tell anybody that they're in, I'm pretty sure the rowing team isn't going to let you row with a watch on. Oh no, everyone's going to find out you're a skull. Your commitment to make sure that the rowing is accurately
0: portrayed by NCAA guidelines in this movie. I, I should I have looked up it.
1: the. I should have looked up the rules for for rowing competitions. To your point,
0: though, I don't think we need to know the rules. I think both of the things that you're saying (laughs) make sense. Uh, Yeah. I made a note on this as well. How is it a secret society if it's branded on your wrist? How is it a secret? The other thing is the house is humongous. It's got Ivy on the outside. It's got a big skull logo on the outside. They're walking past it on the campus. Yeah. And they say, oh, It's the skulls. It's the house. If everybody knows where your house is, people are walking around with branding on them. It's a huge thing. They have skulls everywhere.
1: Yeah. And like none of them are even really secret about it because they they all get classic cars to drive around. Suddenly you have a classic car, like a really expensive car very casually like having conversations about like hey I lost my key can I borrow yours there are like five other people around like nobody could figure out what you're talking about
0: so when you get initiated what you get is a branded skull his or her matching his and him
1: matching tattoos (laughs) yeah with your soulmate
0: your soulmate's matching tattoo here's the thing the prop designers on this movie had undoubtedly the time of their life oh yeah The amount of skull shaped things, everything, the voting, the voting tablets, you know, that are, that are all skull shaped. So you get a comically stuffed, like book, hand guide, book of rules with your name bedazzled. Let's call it a bedazzle. Yeah. And you get a gigantic silver key that you are supposed to wear around your neck. Mm hmm. And the best part is, the two soulmates that are running the place is Craig T. Nelson from Coach and Gil Grissom from CSI. Who don't, they're not
1: soulmates anymore. They, like, essentially broke up. But you don't know that at the time. Right. We find that out later. But I feel like it's worth mentioning.
0: (laughs) What a pairing. What a dynamic. What in the, you know nbc thursday night lineup are we looking at here (laughs) you have the cw lineup you know because it was the cw back then of like paul walker and joshua jackson but oh man maybe we can get the moms and the dads with the nbc craig t nelson gail grissom lineup as well yeah it was just shocking to me luke joshua jackson goes back and has a falling out with his friends like right away What I found so interesting about the argument is his friend Will says, and I quote, when it comes to friendship, there is no middle ground. It's a deep, a deep line. Also, like not, I think the basis of friendship is middle ground. Right, <laughs> like,
1: like, <laughs> you, you <laughs> I think he was just mad he wasn't picked as his soulmate. I think is is we see a little jealousy there.
0: I think he was upset that he saw Paul Walker snake without veins, and then like what they're referring to is like some snake fixture on the top of a building. It's that a weather
1: get. vein, a weather vein Ugh. that they had to steal. These guys are so soft, but
0: it's so crazy. So there's a big, there's a big falling out with him and his friends. He starts dating, you know, Leslie Bibb Mm -hmm. and -hmm. and he says, how hungry are you? So I can figure out how much money to get out of my bank account.
1: I mean, I don't know about you, but I really think date two is going to happen. And we haven't even talked about the hookers yet.
0: Oh, I know. Oh my gosh. But you join. I was shocked. And like, that's okay. So you join the skulls and yeah. you get all of these things. You get a soulmate, you get a branding, you get a $20,000 deposit in your bank account. You get a vintage car. I cannot relay to our listeners any more clearly that this is exactly what happens in the movie. Yeah. They are standing at a gala and Creed higher starts playing yeah and in slow mo a bunch of women in formal gowns come in that I assume are supposed to be hookers
1: yeah because and they're all like assigned to somebody because the one girl just like walks up to Luke and is like are you Lucas McNamara do you want to dance and then like they're dancing and then somebody else like steps in front of the camera just go in like they're just making out right off the get-go like right away
0: and then paul walker leaves with two with two so of course of of course course, yeah the the directors know but like it's all set to the background of creed higher yeah and literally it's like two verses and two choruses of the song it's it's a montage i mean talk about a time capsule and a choice yep that was just
1: wild and I'm not even saying it was bad I'm just saying it was wild I was not expecting that like there were a lot of things in the movie that I wasn't expecting but that one I was shocked (laughs) say the least
0: and essentially Joshua Jackson's friend Steals Paul Walker's key from his car in the most obvious way possible.
1: Who And he's apparently a, like a journalism major, which we now this is like the halfway point of the movie. We are like halfway in at this point. So halfway in, we find out that maybe he was a journalism major where it's not quite clear, but probably.
0: He has the classic late 90s trope of a flash camera around his neck at all times. Yep. And a notebook. So I think we have to assume that this guy's job is journalism. What's interesting about this actor is Hill Harper. I did a little bit of research on him, and he is currently right now running for the vacant U.S. Senate election in 2024. Wow. So he is campaigning. So I, needless to say, I like to think in my universe... The actor became aware of all of the corruption while filming The Mm. Skulls and over the past 25 years has done the things that he needs to do to put him in the best possible place to succeed to now be, he could be like a member of the movie The Skulls could be a U.S. senator. That's crazy.
1: That's crazy.
0: It is. And honestly, I'm rooting for him because he was committed to finding out the truth in the movie.
1: He was gonna do a big, a big piece on it and sell it to different newspapers. I think he was already accepted into some graduate school. or He was on it. Paul Walker comes in
0: in his brutish. Give me my stuff back. And we cut to a scene. Joshua Jackson walks in. His friend is hanging. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. And I don't even know what makes. Him suspicious of paul walker i can't even remember
1: they find out that he had uh, that will had some sort of contusion on the back of his head indicating that he was either hit or he fell like they're pretty sure they're pretty convinced that it wasn't suicide it was made to look like suicide so at that point I think he's just like, who's the sketchiest person I know? Oh, Caleb Mandrake, for sure. Makes
0: sense. Makes sense. Paul Walker comes clean and says, I chased him. He fell from the top. I called my
1: dad and I left. He makes some sort of comment like, My dad always cleans up my messes. And he, he just says it very matter of factly. He doesn't seem upset about it. He doesn't seem like he has any regrets. It's just like this is the way my life is. It's just a very matter-of-fact, which for me made some of the later stuff kind of hard to it didn't it didn't work for me because of that statement and how he was just okay with it. It was very okay with it.
0: Totally okay with it. I mean yeah. and, and they try to redeem his character a little bit later with when they get the tape, so Joshua Jackson links up with some of his old
1: friends. They do Better this- Better criminals or something, absolutely yeah. Absolutely
0: ridiculous heist. I mean, I like, this isn't Mission Impossible here, right? One of the, I'm pretty sure that they're, like, the walkie-talkies, a landliner, like, like the heist yeah. of it gets a little wonky. While they're going through the heist, Pacey is in a class and is listening to the heist. It's, it's get
1: out of the class. Right. And he's like talking to them in the middle of class. And he does it for a while before the professor is like, is there a problem? How often are people talking into their landlines during class? If one of my kids was like, don't let him out of your sight, like into a today an AirPod, I would be like, Let's stop everything and figure out what's going on right now. Let's not wait until it happens so much that I need to intervene. Very strange. It was strange.
0: They end up getting the
1: tape, let's say. All of them
0: look, they walk around, and they see, so again, some of the redemption
1: arc that Luke calls his dad and it's like, dad, daddy, you know? <laughs> Call the police, get an ambulance, and his dad's like, "No, just go. I'll take care of everything." And you see a little bit of
0: restraint. Yeah, like they're trying to write him as like the 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 tortured. He wants his dad's approval. He's like, "I can't just leave him here. I have to call nine one one. I have yeah. to call the
1: cops." They try to act like that's enough. Right, right. This one time. After he accidentally kills somebody, the fact that he wants to get the police involved is his like redeeming quality, which from here on out, I feel like things were crazy from the get go. From here on out, it just goes off. I think it's a great
0: place for us to take a break because the last part of this movie is I just can't. ridiculous. So, so we'll just take a quick break and then we'll be back.
1: Okay. All right. We are back, ready to wrap up the skulls. Sam, I have one question. Yes. What is a
0: provost? I have no (laughs) idea.
1: Something that we haven't really got to yet is as this heist is going on, the provost of the college becomes involved because he's apparently a skull. He is heavily involved in covering up this murder. The provost, which I just Googled it now is a senior administrative officer. So whatever that means, the provost, it sounds like lunch meat. He was a recognizable character, too. I think he was
0: the bad guy in Billy Madison.
1: Well, I only know this because we were talking about it yesterday while I was watching it. He was Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore.
0: OK, so I said Billy Madison. It's Happy Gilmore. OK, OK. So he is the provost. The big reveal that comes is that they watch the tape and Paul Walker leaves. Fast forward the tape. Will starts moving. And the provost, is this where you were going? Do you want to do the big reveal? Yeah. So
1: keep in mind that Luke and Chloe and maybe some of their criminal friends are watching this tape And it keeps cutting between the tape and their reactions as they're watching it. And their reactions are like it's a mildly interesting drama. They're literally re-watching their friend die. And they're just kind of deadpanned. Like, oh, things are ramping up a little bit. They don't react the way that you would think that they would. So anyway, the tape fast forwards a little bit. Will is still alive. And the provost just snaps his neck and you hear it and you see it. I didn't know what to think about that. It was it was a lot.
0: I actually felt like when the tape came back and it shows that it is how Paul Walker said it was like I thought the tape was gonna show that no Paul something else happened and Paul Walker was a bad guy. Because Paul Walker can't pick a lane the entire movie.
1: Right. He's like
0: all over the place. He gets into to Joshua Jackson's apartment and unbugs everything and is like, they can hear you. They've bugged you. There's no getting out. I want to, you're my soulmate. I want to take care of you. But then he's filing false reports at the police station. Right. Five minutes later saying, oh no, he's the one that did it. So again, I don't know that I need that consistency. The only thing consistent about Paul Walker's character in this movie is that his shirt is off.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's all over the place. They're trying to prove that the provost snapped his neck like a glow stick, and somebody switches the tape and it's blank.
0: So, this is where I feel like it fully unravels. Everybody is part of the skulls or working for somebody else. That's yeah, part of the skulls. This is where you find out that Gil Grissom and his soulmate, Craig T. Nelson, have had a lover's quarrel. It's not simpatico. Right. Against Joshua Jackson's will, commit him to a psychiatric facility and drop him up.
1: Right, because he, as anyone would, mildly gets irritated that they're saying he's guilty and he made everything up when he didn't. So he's like, not even hysterical. I would just say he's mildly upset. And they're like, oh, he's crazy. Let's lock him up and cut to him. I don't know how long he's been there. The deterioration that they show, like it looked like he was there for months, hunched over in the hallway, drooling all over himself. Yeah, it's I I don't.
0: It was so pronounced. And I think it was the span of a day or two. Let's let's get serious. Right. Leslie Bibb goes to Paul Walker, famous shirtless scene, no punching bag. He's standing there and she mm-hmm. gives him a little bit. She goes, we watched this tape and he was alive and your dad's goons killed him and let you think that you killed him. So you just need to know that's your pops. That's what you're fighting mm-hmm. for. I still don't think Paul Walker does the right thing ever in the movie, but nope. I like that they give her a little bit of a moment. She yeah. busts him out with the help of Gil Grissom and then... This ridiculous car chase ensues.
1: Yeah. That ends on railroad tracks.
0: Josh projected to your point, is a vegetable in the side of the car. So she's dealing with it herself. I don't know where they think they're gonna go.
1: I don't know. Yeah, she runs into a dead end on a railroad truck. I feel like after that, it just goes full John Wick. At least something's
0: going on. you know, the provost shows up, the school provost. Yeah
1: shows up to chase them which
0: again sarah is what what is the definition
1: some sort of like high up administrator at a school i don't even i don't even know what that means exactly but
0: so the provost shows up and draws (laughs) a gun on them
1: yeah and tries to shoot them and then the investigator who we (laughs) thought was a skull we thought he switched the tapes he shows up and just takes out the provost and is like i got you guys or something like stupid and um Then they steal the provost's car and back back down the railroad tracks to leave. The guy who's like working for a third party, whatever, it's like,
0: read your handbook. Read the handbook.
1: The skulls live by the rules and die by the rules.
0: Skulls live by the rules and die by the rules.
1: Yep. A skull above anyone else. So he shows up to the skull House where everyone is now getting checks for a hundred thousand dollars in addition to the twenty thousand that they got, and they all just assume he shows up for his check. Nobody questions the fact that he's sweaty and dirty and probably still covered in a little bit of drool. They're all just like, Oh, he showed up for his money. And then, so here's where I kind of got a little bit lost because at this point, he knows that Caleb's dad is responsible for Will's death, right? He knows that it was his fault. So instead of... There's a rule that says that they can kind of duel it out, basically. John Wick style, let's have a duel with pistols. So instead of challenging his dad, who he knows is guilty, Luke challenges Caleb.
0: He walks in and he's like, rule number four, section three. Yeah. So then Craig T. Nelson, the dad's like, hey... I want to step in and fight for my fun. And th- guess what? There's a rule that says you can't.
1: What a shock.
0: Paul Walker gets to pick the weapon because he is the one that's challenged. Yep. And this group of men pull out a small country's arsenal worth of weaponry. <laughs> Table and tables for them to pick. And I think that they're all pretty dated even for 1999 it was dated
1: yeah they're all antique one-shot pistols
0: and craig t nelson walks up and he's like my son's a crack shot call it
1: off with an ancient pistol that you have to rip the musket ball to like stuff it in
0: why wouldn't craig t nelson just want joshua jackson dead he's got the info on him he's why would he try to talk him out of it I don't know. It's not because he cares about his kid and doesn't want his kid to take a human life. That's certainly clear. That's not what it is. Right. And then I get lost. Joshua Jackson says, Tell him. Tell him what you know. And I'm thinking everybody in this room already knows exactly what has happened. Yeah. And has spent the last two hours trying to suppress that truth. What do you think if if Paul Walker says,
1: Hey, by the way, my dad killed this guy? nobody's gonna be surprised yeah i already know yeah so he like drops his gun like refuses to shoot and is like go ahead do it and it's then a
0: real alexander hamilton moment that oh, joshua for jackson sure. had yeah for
1: he... sure this i don't get craig t nelson picks up a gun another one of the ancient pistols that caleb's not holding and he shoots him and it just deflects off of his chest Did I miss something where he put on a bulletproof vest? Did he have his rule book there? Like it just like, ching? was he like clenching so tight that it, the bullet couldn't, I don't know what happened. I would say it is a
0: dusty weapon with dusty art. It's dusty artillery. It's dusty bullet. Who knows? But that was weird. Yes. It seemed like a flesh wound,
1: let's say. Yeah. So it, it somehow deflects off of him and it, Lands in Craig T. Nelson's shoulder, yelling at how, you know, how mad he is at everybody else and is like, Caleb, shoot him, blah, blah, blah. So, when I said earlier that like this didn't work for me because Caleb was just like very okay with his dad cleaning up his messes for him, now he's not okay with it suddenly. Suddenly he's like, this is too much.
0: In all fairness, I do think they try to address it. He does ask his dad was he still alive? And his dad looks him in the eye and says, I've never lied to you. He was dead. And in that moment, I think Paul Walker was like, my dad's a POS. Now, true. should he have been able to come to that conclusion well in advance of that moment? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He gets very little points. Again, bare minimum effort here. He wanted to call the cops. He didn't. He realizes his dad's lying. Now he's, you know, he he gets no points from me. He gets no. no No.
1: The effort was made, but it didn't work. So he takes another one of the ancient pistols and aims it at himself, which then his soulmate steps in and stops him from from doing that.
0: All of a sudden, Gail Grissom shows up and he says, Hey, this is great. Happy endings for everyone. And To be clear, what he then says the happy endings are is Craig T. Nelson's not going to be a judge. Yep. Gil Grissom is now going to be the leader of the Skulls. Mm -hmm. And Joshua Jackson isn't going to be tried falsely for killing somebody he didn't kill. Right. And Gil Grissom, like, looks right at him and is like, wins all around. This, This couldn't have ended up any better
1: for anybody. And then he threatens him. Joshua Jackson basically says, like, I really don't have any interest in being a Skull anymore. And he says, I did you a favor. I'm going to call it in in the future. And he's just like, "Mm, no, that's okay." I
0: think that Joshua Jackson delivered that line with everything he had. Watch me. Yeah, go ahead and watch me. Yeah. Or Gil says, good boy. Or something. Again, homoerotic. We're going to end it. And then we never see anybody again, movie ends, roll credits, him and Leslie. Bibb.
1: They show they're at a random lighthouse that we've never seen before walking away into the sunset.
0: I assume maybe he's rowing them somewhere. He is on the row team. But Sarah, you get the first dibs on the responses to these questions because this is the foreign for you. Right. OK, so let's close it out here. Give us a snappy 30 second review elevator pitch of the skulls.
1: Okay. So yeah, if I were recommending this to someone, I think I would probably say Ivy league secret society, poor kid, (laughs) kid from not a great background has to like infiltrate from the inside and fix all their problems. I mean, I feel like that pretty much sums it up because
0: What would your 30-second reaction be to watch if you
1: had to sum up everything we're talking about? I think I would say looking for 90s action movies, I think it hit the marks. We've got the weird car chase. We've got the suspense, the heist. It checks all the boxes. Do I think it holds up? Probably not. (laughs) But if you're looking for that specifically, I think you would enjoy it.
0: What would you think that Rotten Tomatoes had scored it?
1: I'm gonna say I feel like it's gonna get high scores for the cast alone, so I'm gonna say eight point three. It's out of a hundred. Oh, it's out of a hundred. I thought it was at a okay. no, so out of ten. Okay, Oh, it's out of a hundred. Well, let's do eighty-three then. Okay, Sarah,
0: yeah. you must not be familiar with Rotten Tomatoes. It is nine percent fresh.
1: Nice. Universally
0: fresh. panned. Universally panned. <laughs> basic as, like, you know, a throwaway teen movie, nothing. I get yeah. that. I did a little bit more research. It opened and third place with $11 million at the box office in 1999, which okay. I think, yeah, the same weekend as Aaron Brockovich, oh, okay. which won Julia Roberts her Oscar. So, right, right. Talk about counter programming at the yeah. box office, and it has spurred two direct to DVD sequels that I have no intention of watching at all. But they tried to make a Skulls franchise, let's call they it. They
1: did, yeah. I did notice I saw the Skulls 2 pop up whenever I was renting one, and I did notice that the ratings were different. So I think, like, I think the Skulls is PG 13, and 2 was R. So I think maybe they were trying to go toward maybe a little more mature audience in the second one. And it maybe didn't work. I don't know. I don't think I'll watch that one either.
0: So that goes into would you recommend it? It sounds like you're saying if that's what you're looking for. I would say a similar thing. If Mm -hmm. this movie were on TV, I'd have it in the background. I'd be folding laundry. Right. Wouldn't take it too easy. I don't know that it. I would ever have said it was appointment viewing, but it well, there is some nostalgia about seeing Paul Walker. Yeah, truly. I mean, he's gone. And and now, you know, you're older, you're looking back 20 years later, and you kind of see, you know, this is a little bit older than me at the time. So I think it's, it's peak Paul Walker. If you're interested, you just have to go in and like, know that it but we knew that we didn't think this was, you know, Oppenheimer, right?
1: Right. We did not have Oscar worthy expectations going into this. But if you are looking for that specific genre, I think it, it checks the boxes. If
0: you were rating it from one to 10, what would you rate it? I think I would rate it three. I think that's fair. And so if, if you were comparing it and rating it to a little Debbie snack cake, what do you think it's?
1: This is like a, A deep cut because I don't see these often. I feel like it's a pecan pie, a little Debbie pecan pie, Mm -hmm. a little hard to find. Certainly not my first choice. I enjoy it while I'm eating it, but I don't actively seek it out.
0: I think you're really very kind, Sarah. I think you're (laughs) very kind.
1: I do have a hard time saying negative things about something. Now, there was a movie I watched recently that I, I really have very few positive things to say about it. But and maybe it's because I watched a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and I got to hear like the director's perspective and like the actor's perspective and the type of environment that it was. Like it seemed like it was a really supportive environment for everybody. I don't know. I have a hard time with negativity.
0: Well, here's the thing. I have enough negativity for all of us. I think on the, <laughs> on the flip side, I would agree. I mean, I said a couple times like you see the vision mm-hmm. does what it can and move stuff out. It does have. You know Joshua Jackson and Paul Walker at the peak of who they were at the time, right? Right. With with Leslie Bibb, they they try. I think the movie takes itself seriously, more seriously than it does, but not too seriously. Like I think they just. Right. I think the tone is right. I think they get what they're doing. They know it's not going to be a masterpiece, mm-hmm. but I will not probably revisit that one ever. Let's say I think mm-hmm. I'm good, and then also. I'm not interested in the new ones. Yeah, no. I don't want to reboot. I don't want anything like that. No. And I will say, like, it is interesting to look back and see some of the social commentary, whether they were trying to make it at the time or not. It's really, right. again, next year will be 25 years. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see. So, Yeah, it is.
1: Thanks for joining us here at Foreign and Familiar for our very first episode, Recapping the Skulls. If you have any thoughts on this interesting movie, we'd love to hear them because maybe there's something we missed.
0: And you can find us at Pod on Instagram or Foreign and Pod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks.
1: Thanks for eavesdropping on us. If you can't get enough of The Cousin Chronicles, head over to Instagram and follow at for more in-depth info and behind-the-scenes details. Or email us at foreignfamiliarpod at gmail.com. Foreign and Familiar is a Flynn and Flynn production. The theme is Colorful by Allerly Vaughn-Nicolai.